This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. You're listening to the Inside Carolina podcast sponsored by JohnnyTShirt.com, the day after podcast, NC State edition. Let's get this work, gentlemen. Buck, I'll start with you. Uh, 41-10, that's certainly a a score that uh, gave North Carolina fans a lot of pain over the last 11 years in NC State-North Carolina rivalry football games. Today, it is one that gives a lot of North Carolina fans a lot of chuckles. Your thoughts on what went down in in Raleigh last night? Well, for the starters, you know, when the game started, and I think probably every person watching this game from a UNC perspective um, thought, well, oh, my God, here they go. Uh, NC State is super fired up. They're more physical. Uh, they're, you know, ready for this game. It's going to be another one of those games that North Carolina should have won. Um, but, uh, is not going to win. That was kind of the, the feeling at the end of the first half, they stumbled in the red zone a couple of times and, uh, you know, there was a pick, uh, by Sam. He didn't look particularly sharp. Although he did have some nice balls in the first half. I think he maybe had four passes over 20 yards in the first half. Uh, although it didn't show up really on the scoreboard. But then in the second half, uh, oh my God. Um, you know, with uh, five minutes to go in the third quarter, UNC sees the lead and they never look back. Uh, you know, I do think, you know, one of the things we should acknowledge as we talk about this game all the way through the podcast is, you know, last week, uh, or actually on the game plan podcast, Jason said that, uh, NC state turned from a sneaky bad team into just a bad team with the injuries and whatnot. And, you know, North Carolina had injuries as well, but uh, I think, NC States were probably a little bit more long lasting and North Carolina got some players back. Uh, Trey Morrison, I thought looked good yesterday. Um, so, but this is, this is really a bad NC state team is, and the the thing about it is I, I really don't know where they go from here because it doesn't look to me like they have an answer at quarterback and their skill players don't really frighten you. So uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens with NC State moving forward. Probably they'll get some players back and their defense will be better and, you know, things will – the ship will straighten up a little bit. But uh, that's not a note anybody wants to go out on at the end of a year to lose 41-10 to your rival and and have so many questions going into the offseason. So – Satisfying win for uh, UNC, largest margin of victory since 1901 in Raleigh. Uh, Sam Howell continues to light it up. Uh, The interceptions were great to see. Uh, They hadn't turned the ball over a lot uh, this past year. Um, But just overall, it's just the kind of game that, uh, from a UNC perspective, you want to see. and. Uh, you know, it turned out much better than uh, most people thought after that first half. Indeed, it did. Carolina poured it on in the second half. You want to see an interesting uh, stat, look at the drive chart from first half to the second half compared to Carolina. And Jason, a lot in the first half, 
uh, Carolina was slipping all over the place. We saw against NC State Clemson slipping all over the place. We saw you know, other teams that have played in Raleigh slipping, even in good conditions. And I was told that they did not change cleats at halftime. Um, maybe they did, maybe they didn't. But what I did notice is I didn't see a lot of plays called in the second half where it involved stretch, 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 put your foot in the ground and cut up the field, um, which, which what they were falling on. Your thoughts on how the difference in, in the footing and in the execution there in the same, from the first half to the second half, it clearly made all the difference in the world for Carolina. Before I go there, I do want to talk just briefly. Buck said, I, I you know, he didn't really see a, a way forward here for NC State. And I'm just going to propose a way forward. And that's another extension for Dave Doran. So <laughs> I, I think that's clearly the, the answer here. And, Even though uh, I'd wager. <laughs> they need to lock that guy up long term. And I think that is definitely a, a way forward. So, yeah, um, I think I think we've now that we've now that we've answered that one, we can get to the uh, to the other bit to the other bit. So, uh, yeah, I, I think what they decided to do in the second half was just to come out. They ran a lot of power and counter in the second half, and just basically said we're going to hit this. We're going to hit this gap. We're going to gap block this. We're going to hit it. We're going to hit it upfield, get upfield backs, and and just be physical and play downhill. And that's what they did. And ultimately in the second half, they were able to mash. And they were the more physical team in the second half because they just decided we're going to run straight down the field. And uh, and then when they weren't running it, they were they were able to throw it. And I think also that, that the players got a feel for the, for the footing. Uh, you know, you have to learn a field sometimes, especially when it's wet like that. And you, you can kind of learn what you can and can't do. And that, that's also a factor. So you could see those guys getting their feet under them and you know, bursting forward instead of trying to take off sideways, like you mentioned. But I, I think more than anything, they just decided we're going we're gonna to run it down their throats and we're going to challenge our offensive line to, to, to block them and make sure that, that things are taken care of on the inside. And they started getting a body on a body inside. And you can look, they, they ran between the tackles a lot in the second half. Indeed, uh, Buck, a lot of people have called for Javante Williams to get more action. Uh, it's a weekly thing, and when he got his chance there in the third quarter, I mean, he, he was fantastic. Only nine carries for 59 yards, it certainly seemed a lot more. Just talk about his play and sort of the evolution of Javante this season. He's been uh, the one that people have, have hollered for. He came up big Saturday. Well, it seems to me that uh, this has been sort of a um, game feature of the game plan uh, for the UNC staff. It, it almost every contest, you see a lot of Michael Carter in the first half, and then in the second half, particularly as you know the uh, second half moves on. Uh, you see much more of Javante Williams. And I, I think that's that's something that they game plan, that, you know, we're, we're going to make you chase Michael Carter as much as we can in the first half, get you as worn down as, as we can, uh, you know, limit, you know, uh, how physical you can be in the second half just because you're a little bit more tired. And then we're going to hit you with a 5'10", 220-pound running back, and, and it's going to be very hard for you to stop him. So I, I don't I don't know that to be the case, that, that they game plan it that way, but it certainly looked that way a lot. And, uh, you know, they have held out Javante uh, for the last uh, couple of games because of, uh, you know, the injury that he had uh, three games ago, I suppose. Uh, so, you know, the, the fact that it was a little bit more of a coming out party for Javante, it, it doesn't shock me at all. Uh, they, you know, we talked about last week, he only got six carries, but I think they were just checking to see, you know, is he okay? Uh, but let's not waste him against Mercer. So, uh, but Javante Williams, I'm telling you, North Carolina just hit the lottery with that kid. I mean, um, he does so many things well. Uh, 
um, that, you know, if you had a, had recruited a four-star running back in his class, would that guy be any better than Javante Williams? I mean, he, he has really been, um, you know, one leg of the UNC offense all year. You know, Sam Howell obviously is the biggest piece of that. I think, uh, Deami Brown's, um, ability to get deep, um, for touchdowns is another leg. And then you got Javante Williams. Now other players are contributing, obviously, you know, the uh, Daz Newsome and Michael Carter and those guys, you know, everybody has contributed to the offense this year, but, um, you know, that those three pieces of the offense really give defenses a lot of pause. If you can, you know, throw the ball and, and how stats are just freaking, uh, unbelievable. Give me one second. There was something I was looking at this morning. 34, 40, 33 is 3,347 yards. No, 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 20. I was looking at long passing plays. It's on, uh, CFB stats and, you know, in, uh, he's thrown 141 passes of over 10 yards. The next closest person to him is thrown 118. He's thrown 53 passes, 20 yards or better. And Trevor Lawrence is the closest to him with 45. And then after that, it drops down to like 37. So 28 passes of 30 yards or better, which again, leads all ACC quarterbacks and is six better than the elf and, uh, 17 of 40 or better, uh, which is seven better than Trevor Lawrence. And I mean, his ability to get the ball downfield and he's got some receivers. He can do that to, uh, do that with like, uh, Brown and, and, uh, Daz, um, what, what a threat this guy is. I mean, I think, and, and I'd be interested to hear your comments. I personally believe North Carolina is going to get a better bowl game just because the bowl committee for some of the bowl committees are going to want to have Sam Howell on the field when they play. I don't know how much of a factor that is, but it's just something that crossed my mind this morning. Yeah, I don't, we'll talk about it later after the last break. Um, when we look ahead, but yeah, I agree with that. Let me talk about Johnny t-shirt.com before I come back to Jason with a Sam Howell question and the offense question. Johnny t-shirt.com Johnny t-shirt on Franklin street. Great sponsors of this podcast. Great. Uh, providers for North Carolina fans. You get all your gear. I'll tell you, I was in Nassau all last week or all this past week at the basketball tournament. Tons of people wearing stuff that I've seen on the shelves in Johnny T-shirt and online at johnnytshirt.com. It's just a, a wonderful opportunity for you to get anything you need, all sports related. Uh, of course, Carolina football and basketball are the biggest, but the baseball and the soccer, even the field hockey, uh, got everything you need and you need something for your walls. They got that. You need something for your car. They got that. You need something for your kitchen. They got that. It's just, they have everything you could possibly want. If you're a Carolina fan or have a Carolina fan on your Christmas list, Johnny t-shirt.com Johnny t-shirt on Franklin street. And of course, inside Carolina premium subscribers get that 10% off their order. You can do it in store or online smooth process. Get everything you need from Johnny t-shirt. And we appreciate their sponsorship of this podcast. Jason, in the Sam Howell discussion and the numbers Buck was putting out there uh, with the long passes, I mean, we knew going into this season that Phil Longo's offense or version of his air raid was going to be get the ball downfield. I'm not quite sure that he could have had a better quarterback to accomplish that, at least given what we've seen this season than Howell. And he certainly, uh, if there's been a better quarterback ever in North Carolina, especially in a single season, doing that i'm not sure i remember it uh you, you know your thoughts on just that whole evolution the, the longo howell matchup and how it's really helped north carolina this season yeah i mean I, I think it's hard to argue that he's uh that there's ever been a quarterback who's had anywhere close to as good a season certainly as, as Howell this season uh you know i i can imagine uh there there being a few quarterbacks who are who are currently playing who might be 
overall better at, at some of those things than Howell at this stage. Uh, but they're further along. I mean, Joe Burrow, probably you probably take him at this point, uh, throwing downfield on some of that stuff. But Howell's no, not uh, not backing down from anybody in that in that respect. And you know, it is a, a, a it's it is kind of crazy that this guy is not one of the sixteen finalists for the uh, what is it for the uh, Davy O'Brien Award? Uh, or is it the is it the O'Brien Award that he was left off that list? Yeah, he was off, it, the, off the O'Brien Award list. It's it's crazy. Um, you know, there, are there fifteen guys in this in the country who've who've played better at that position than Sam Howell? If there are, I'd like to see all fifteen. I can think of four or five, but uh, and only one freshman that's that's in the same zip code. The kid out at uh, Arizona State, Daniels, but. I mean, this, the, the guy has played lights out and Longo's done a great job all year of keeping him in him in a comfort zone. I mean, they haven't really turned him loose to throw sort of wherever most of the year. But when you throw the deep ball as well as he does, that makes that makes things so much easier because you force teams to stretch downfield so much. And if you know, look, if you can if you can throw it for, say, a 50 percent clip. 30 yards downfield, why would you throw short? <laughs> you're, you're making safe throws that you're, that you're consistently complete. Well, okay, that, that makes that decision really easy. And Longo's already a guy that emphasizes the importance of, of winning on the verticals, and, and they do a great job of coaching the fade both as, both as throwers and as receivers. And you got to give the receivers a lot of credit. Uh, you know, you look at Deami Brown, that first – Fade, fade route in particular was a clinic on how to run that and make sure you leave enough space for your quarterback to throw that along the sideline and all that. And it doesn't, it, it's not, it's not going to happen without those guys taking care of their business and running the routes correctly. And and that's, that's kind of been a hidden thing this year uh, in that those, those receivers have given him exactly the space that he needs to be able to make those throws, but he still made them. And you know, to think that there's at least two more years with this guy at North Carolina. I know the coaching staff sort of circling sophomore and junior year as these are years where we can really, especially that junior year, these are that's a year we can really uh, push to to com- contend for the conference and more because you get a quarterback like that and and everything changes. Teams have to defend you differently. You're never out of a ball game. You're never out of a uh, out of a uh, out of a third and long, I mean, you, you, it just changes everything for you. And, and Howell's been huge for Carolina in that and his growth over the course of the year. I mean, you look at what he looked like in the first game versus what he looked like in the command that he had against NC state. And, and there was a lot of growth and there's still a lot of room for growth, but you're looking at a guy that has grown and continues to get better. And, and that's going to happen. Now I would still be upset about a couple of the sacks that he took, which we can talk about later, but but overall, the command that he showed in this game was was outstanding. Indeed. You take away the drops, and, of course, you can't take away all 28. But if you take away all 28, if what if the stats I'm looking at, he, he'd be at 68% completion and no, no telling how many more yards. It's interesting looking at Daz Newsom and Diami Brown. Of course, there's a game difference there because Daz missed Mercer, if my memory, but they're both at 947 yards. So you're looking at a bowl game. You're going to have 2,000-yard receivers, um, possibly 2,000-yard rushers. In Carter, he needs, um, what, 81, and Javante needs 152. Um, and folks, you know, have banged on Longo a little bit. And I get it. Uh, you know, the red zone inefficiency at times has been troubling. But Carolina hadn't seen stats like that ever. And it's fascinating to watch. And, Buck, a big part of that, and something we don't talk about enough, has been the offensive line. And I thought uh, that they did a pretty solid job against a pretty good state defensive line. But they've done, you know, some mash unit, uh, mashed up up unit a lot of times, guys playing a ton of snaps all season. They've just been effective for North Carolina and for Sam Howell to be able to accomplish all this stuff on the offensive side. That's true, Tommy. Uh, the, the in the first half, you know, the the offensive line did give up three sacks. Well, I, when I say 
the offensive line gave up three sacks. Sometimes that's not accurate because uh, on occasion, somebody could be responsible for a sack. Sometimes the quarterback more often uh, doesn't really go on the offensive line on occasion, at least. And, you know, this unit now, they started out the year and really only Polino and Heck had any real starting experience. And and then Polino goes down. And so you, you had, you know, by the Clemson game or before that, you had guys that were in their third or fourth start or second or third start of their career. And the first time together as a unit, and as they have progressed, now they've played 12 games, and those guys now have played together. They should be better because they have gotten snaps after snaps, reps in practice. Uh, they've been coached up, and so they really should be better. That's the one area, or at least one of the areas, where you would expect improvement on a football team that starts out with a very, very young offensive line that hadn't played together by game 12, they should be improved because now they have that game experience. They know more about what to expect and they know how to communicate with each other better. Um, so yes, I, I do think, um, the job that North Carolina's offensive line in the second half, they gave up no sacks. And I want to say at the end of the first half, North Carolina only had 24 yards rushing. And, and then in the second half, they uh, hit another gear. Uh, and all of a sudden, North Carolina ends up with, uh, what, over around 200 yards uh, rushing. So, you know, the the difference between the first half and the second half is a little bit remarkable. Um, but as a unit, they're only going to get better. Um, and they'll miss Charlie heck next year. Obviously he was, you know, the, the best offensive lineman all year. And he missed a game or two, I think, uh, with a broken hand. Uh, but this unit will be better next year. Uh, they'll be better because they're more experienced. They'll be better because they'll get another year of uh, strength and conditioning from Brian Hess, and and they'll just know how to communicate with each other better. And and one thing that ought to really be frightening for a lot of North Carolina's opponents in the coming years is that when Sam Howell gets an offensive line that really gives him more time than he's gotten this year, imagine what he's capable of doing. Um, so that, that's something really to look forward into in the years to come and the receivers he's got, I mean, it's ridiculous. You're right. First half rushing stats, Carolina had 24 state had 83 Carolina had 240 total yards finished with 620. I believe state 159 at half finished with like 289 or something. Jason, your take on how the offensive line has performed this season and last night, I mean, you know, they, they've been all over the place with guys um, going in and out at certainly at the different positions at left guard specifically. But I thought they've, uh, you know, I thought they have sort of come together. Searles did a good job of getting them in a cohesive unit when it's tough to be cohesive when you've got, you know, four guys that are playing consistently and then one guy that's in and out. So, you know, just your take on the season, but uh, with a, a last night centric theme. Yeah, you know, I I would say that they've been up and down over the course of the year. Uh, they've been they've had their their really it's almost quarter to quarter. They've had their really good quarters and they've had their their struggles. Uh some of the places where they've seemed to struggle the most has it, it's the sort of stuff that you get in in year 1 in a system where you'll get a guy that that pulls and he pulls to the wrong direction or you'll you'll sometimes see guys again this has to do with gelling and 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 some of this other stuff where sometimes as a guy pulls he'll you know he won't be 
like some of that space will get squeezed or you'll get guys that won't quite be in the spot that they're supposed to be in. There's also been some, uh, some missed assignments over the course of the year. Otherwise, uh, so, and that's, that's held some things back and, and they need to, they still need to get stronger and fitter as a group. This will be good to get a full off season with, uh, with Hess and that group. Uh, th- there's some guys that, especially you look at a couple of the really highly regarded recruits from the past. Uh, they, a couple of those guys are a little overweight and that's, that's caused some issues in terms of being able to move the feet and, and, and in one case has really kept a guy off the field. Uh, so there's been some of that. The, the, the thing is the potential for this line continues to, to be much higher than the overall performance that we've seen. But then all of a sudden you'll see periodically some flashes of where they can be like you did in the second half this week. And all of a sudden you go, Oh, wow. You know, if they put it together, if they get into a little better shape over the course of the off season, they hammer out a good rotation where you can kind of get seven guys in and out of there, maybe eight guys where you can start to rotate some guys in as they get tired and they're going to run more up tempo once they get a little bit more depth on defense. And you can start to see that this team could really maul some people over the next couple of years with those, with those bodies up front. It's just a matter of maturing, getting really comfortable in the system, gelling a little bit with each other, and getting a lot, a lot stronger and fitter over the course of the off season. And, and, you know, some of that's going to be diet and a lot's going to be making sure that they, they get, uh, get together and do what Hess has them doing. So, you know, I think looking forward, the, the sky's the limit for that group. I mean, they've recruited actually remarkably well over the past few years up there. You can see the talent, but, uh, it's just sort of in, in it's it's very un, unsteady and uh and like I said up and down and and we saw that this week I mean the first half they they struggled to, to protect at times they, they and they certainly didn't create a ton of space in the running game some of that was what NC State does it's you know what they do up front with the with the 3-3 three, three, uh defense that they have and and some of the RPO stuff that that UNC likes to do got muddied a little bit by what uh by what uh, they were doing up front and, you know, you, you go to go to block this guy and he's disappeared and there's another guy, but you're not sure if you have him. So you let him go. And well, that causes problems. And second half, they got that stuff cleaned up and you start gashing guys when, when, when you get the, uh, the bodies on them. And, and again, it's that up and down thing and a little bit of experience. And you start saying, you know, when you see that same stunt again, you react quicker because you got beat on it before and you, you don't even have to think about it. You just react and you say, Oh, I got this guy now. And now that's when you hammer that and you get, get something going downhill and, and, and can work. In one sentence, Jason, before I go to our last commercial break, tell me in one sentence, what you look at to see if our offensive lines being successful. Assignment soundness. Take a short break. Come back talk about that. That was two words. I guess that could have been a sentence. Take a short break, come back. We're going to talk Carolina's defense. One player in particular I'm going to lead Buck with. But we'll be right back after this short message. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles. Now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes! Okay, boys, we're back. This is the day after podcast. Tommy Ashley, Jason Staples, and Buck Sanders. Buck, somebody I thought that was fantastic last night on defense and has been unbelievable all year for the most part, was Chas Surratt. Ten tackles, sack, two tackles for loss. He was on his game against the Wolfpack, but. Absolutely. And the cool part is that I I suspect uh, Chas is going to be back next year. 
I mean, he would have the chance to go, I suppose, if he wanted to. But I suspect he's going to be back to, to more or less prove that he's got the linebacker spot down. And, wow, that, that that's that's really going to be interesting to see Surratt with a full year of playing a new position um, and uh, getting to the point where he's going to get some look from the looks from the NFL. If you think about it in some ways, it's not that shocking because, you know, he's got the speed and he's got size and he's only going to get stronger and a little bigger in the off season. I mean, he could, you know, take the field at, I don't know what the upper limit is, but I'm guessing maybe around 240 or at least in that range, scaring 240 and he's 6'3 and he runs like a deer. Um, you know, he could be a pretty frightening, um, NFL type player. Um, so this is going to be fascinating to have him back. Uh, I still think he's one of the stories of the year, not just for UNC, but in all of college football. And, and it's really, um, so heartwarming in a lot of ways because Surratt took so much heat. Uh, at quarterback and was so, uh, the fan base was so down on him and just, uh, that had to be hard to take. Uh, I think it was a Miami game last year. Um, he had a negative passing efficiency mark. First time I've ever seen that in the history of me watching or following college football and, and to go from there to having a negative passing efficiency ranking against Miami to, you know, being the really one of the stars of the defense, certainly at linebacker, uh, is a quite a journey for him and, and a story that that's going to get told way beyond this particular season. Jason, uh, a couple of plays last night. I mean, the closing speed was ridiculous. Now he's had issues with overrunning plays, um, but in a game like that, when somebody's not cutting back on that field, um, he was like a missile out there. Your take on uh, and a couple of things. I think I don't think professional ball this year is out of the question. Seeing your brother go down with a big injury certainly could make you uh, think about it. I agree. I think he needs to come back, but combine numbers are going to be off the charts if he does go. But your take, Jason, on Surratt's growth this season, but also Jeremiah Gimmel, because he was pretty solid last night against NC State and has been all year. I mean, the linebacker core that we talked about would be a heavy weakness turned out not to be for this team. Credit the players and the coaches, but your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, you've said, you've said pretty much all of it. I mean, I, I will say this. Surratt's success at that position is just going to – that's going to give this coaching staff that much more ammunition the next time they ask a guy to switch switch spots, <laughs> right? It, with, all they're going to have to do, you know, a guy expresses a little bit of doubt or wishes that he could stay at his current position. All you have to do is put on the tape of that guy and go, look, um, see see that? this guy was that much better at this position and you see how much money he's made. Let me, let me just show you his, uh, his signing bonus. Okay. Now, now you sure you don't want to move. <laughs> it's the sort of thing that allows you a little bit more, uh, more leverage when you're, when you're talking to a guy that you feel like needs to move once he's on campus. So that, that, that in itself is, is a big deal, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Those guys, Gemmel and, and, and Surratt became really along with Strobridge and Crawford. Those four guys were the strength of the defense. And a defense that's not as weak up front as it was expected to be became a defense that was able to uh, put some games away, was able to keep Carolina in some games that otherwise they wouldn't have been in as the offense struggled at times. And, you know, that's a, that's a huge deal. And you can see that, I mean, again, another thing that really should be emphasized here is how well coached that position has been. Because these are young guys that are, that they're identifying their their keys well and they're triggering well and they're you know you, to me you look at the way that they match in coverage 
there's a lot of the little things that you see that you that you say, man, they've done a really good job of coaching that position and getting those guys in position to make plays and and with guys that that didn't have experience coming in. And, you know, the, the thing that as someone who covers more than one program, I get to see this in contrast because I think Florida State's been one of the worst coached linebacker groups in the country the last couple of years. And you could you can see that the, the talent that's down there, they've got a lot of talent uh, on the roster, obviously, in Tallahassee. But if you look at what those guys look like, they look lost, especially in coverage half the time. And you just don't see that at, with, with these guys from Carolina, which tells you, again, how how good a job this staff has done of getting those guys ready to play and getting them comfortable with what they're being asked to do and being able to recognize, okay, they're in this formation. And then we see this, this release from number three, I need to be here because this is probably what they're doing. That stuff has been happening since week one. And it just goes to show that the kind of uh, attention to detail that you're seeing in practice at that, at that spot as well, which gives me some confidence that even if, Chaz Surratt goes pro, which I would, if I were him, I would very seriously consider it because his stock is, is, is definitely rising very quickly because of the athleticism at that position. And when you've got a guy that's 230 pounds that runs the way he does and, and has the fluidity that he does at the NFL, in the NFL, that is a that that is at an absolute premium these days because of the way that teams like to spread the field and try to put you in different and put your linebackers and safeties in particular in a bind. You have those guys that can move like that. And those guys are spread stoppers in the NFL. They're, they're craving more of those guys. And so his stock's going to be really high. And like you said, this, the combine numbers are going to be off the charts and he's going to look really, really good. Uh, and, you know, the question is, how high could he go? Uh, he, he should he should consider it. Whether it's the right decision or not is another question. But ultimately, my thing is, no matter whether he goes or not, and if he goes, yeah, it's a huge loss for the Carolina defense because of how good he's gotten. But I'm pretty confident that they're going to be good at the linebacker position regardless because of first of all how well how well coached they are, and second of all, we saw. Uh, in the last game, we saw a couple of those backups, and those guys are starting to starting to get it. And there's some good athleticism there as well. Uh, and you know, you add a couple of the other bodies that they're bringing in in this recruiting class, and and they'll be fine. Again, really having guys ready to play makes a makes all the all the difference in the world, doesn't it? Absolutely. I mean, you got to be ready to play. You got to, and you got to play with speed and, and passion. And they've done that all year. They hadn't always been good at it but they've certainly um, gone out there and done it and credit the staff. I mean, people don't give – sometimes coaching staffs get far too much credit and then they get far too much blame. I think this staff deserves – and it's crazy. They're 6-6, six and six and we're talking about how well the staff has done with this bunch. Speaks to the level they were at before the staff got in town. Last defensive question, Buck, and Jason, for you as well. The defensive backfield – you know, I've heard the last few times I've watched NC State on television, and I admit my ways I've watched State when they're on television, but probably for a different reason than many State fans watch them. Um, Carolina's defensive backfield, aside from Dorn's, been all over the place as well. I mean, and Dorn's not had a good year if you just go straight off the, the stats and the PFF stats and all that kind of stuff, but Buck, I think, uh, you know, Bateman back there and also Dre Bly back there. I mean, and with the talent they've got coming in next year, I mean, my goodness, it's incredible to me that we're talking about how good this Carolina defense can be. And I think next year, aside from the linebackers, the defensive backfield is going to be the, you know, one of the best in the league, certainly. That's a good take, Tommy. And, what I would add to that is not only are they getting a lot of these guys back, they're getting guys back that have been gone for a long time. Patrice Renee coming back is huge. If he can stay healthy, him being back and him having basically an entire year to do nothing but really study film, sit in that room and soak up knowledge from uh, Bateman and his staff and Dre Bly. 
and for him to come back 100% healthy, uh, he's a, a different breed of cat a little bit because he has a lot of length. He has more length than any other UNC corner. And, you know, the guys with length like that, they really help out against the uh, Sage Surratt's and the the Higgins kid from uh, Clemson and, you know, guys like that that are 6'4 and can run. So uh, Patrice Renee will be a big add to the uh, cornerback room on, and, and on the field next year. But a lot of the young guys, I mean, North Carolina, um, North Carolina State appeared to me that they thought that it was easier to pick on Storm Duck than it was Trey Morrison. And yet when they tried to pick on him, it didn't work out well for him for the most part. There was that one busted coverage. I don't know whose fault that was, but. Um, other than that, storm duck played a heck of a game and Trey Morrison, you know, we know what he's capable of. And then they got other guys coming in. A bunch of guys have played this year. Don Chapman has what now two or three interceptions. I forget, uh, at safety and, you know, other guys, uh, I assume Wolfork is going to be back next year. Um, you know, and he missed all of this season, basically. So, you know, they have got a lot of bodies, including guys like, you know, Jacorius Conley's coming in. And they're going to find a way to play that kid. Uh, so uh, the defensive backfield is going to be great. But I, I will tell you my favorite moment of uh, watching the defense last last night, there were two of them, really, was watching uh, Ray Vahasek uh, suplex Jordan Houston for a one yard loss. Uh, that was, that was pretty, uh, amazing play. And, 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 you know, Jason talked about him after we watched the, uh, open scrimmage last year, he thought that Vihasek could be a real player for UNC and the last two games, he's shown that ability. Now those came against offenses that, you know, aren't, uh, you know, the St. Louis Rams greatest show on turf, but, uh, at the same time, he's got a heck of a motor, you know, he plays from whistle to whistle. That's hard to coach, you know, to get guys to not stop until they hear the whistle. Um, and it has a heck of a motor, as I say, but, um, I'll be interested to see how he does in the off season and strength and conditioning. Is he going to be a nose guy kind of, uh, you know, a little bit maybe leaner and not quite as uh, huge as, say, Aaron Crawford was? Or are they going to put him to the outside? What are they going to do there? Um, And that was one of my favorite moments. My other favorite moment was, I swear I believe this to be true. At one point, they were showing a uh, sideline shot and – uh, Sam Howell and the offense is, you know, they're all smiles. This is late in the third quarter and kind of jumping around and all happy and everything. And, uh, Howell is talking to, uh, Phil Longo and smiling and Jaden Bateman was standing real near him and he cut his eyes over at Longo and, uh, Sam. And I could swear he said, you're welcome. But, <laughs> <laughs> because they put the UNC offense in a great position that entire <laughs> that entire second half, and uh, you know, with four you know uh, turnovers and short field, I mean, it was like shooting uh, fish in a barrel for the UNC offense. So uh, we'll, we'll see what Bateman says during his press conference this week. But uh, you know, I, I thought that was pretty uh, pretty interesting. Jason, a few more questions run a little bit long on this podcast since it's our last uh, day after, at least for a month or so. But one thing, and Buck alluded to it with Vahasek, and, uh, but I thought the defense played physical and not just um, you know certain players. Uh, the defensive backfield, Morrison's interception was a physical play. Uh, the pass could have been better, obviously, but he had to fight off a receiver to get it. Dorn steals one from one of their guys. Chapman makes a good play on the ball. The the suplex Bucks talks about. It's just 
this Carolina defense hasn't been as physical as it has been, especially against NC State in years. Um, and your thoughts on that, on that turn? I mean, it's Hess, it's the mindset. It's also the players getting it in their heads that they've got to they've got to play that way at this level, especially against the NC State team, who, granted, last night's team's not very good. Um, but they've been bullied a lot, by, especially by the Wolfpack, and over the course of the last few seasons. Speak to that change and where it goes from here with the staff they have on hand. Well, they are more physical, and I think that the, one of the biggest things that, 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 that that's a result of is just the attention to physicality and the emphasis on physicality by this staff, and that starts in the offseason. I mean, they, they, they pushed that before the season started in the way that they handled things in, in, in workouts and so on. I mean, if you've been around Hess for a few minutes, you know full well that that energy is going to transfer uh, to how he how he has these guys working. But the other thing is when you start every day with tackling drills and not necessarily even, you know, a lot of, of contact in the tackling drills, but when you're emphasizing getting guys on the ground and when you're emphasizing block destruction every day as the beginning, as the first thing that you do, then that's that's going to that's going to transfer. That's going to that's going to come across and that's what Jay Bateman does. And, you know, he emphasizes that because he continually says, look, you know, I, I believe in my scheme. I think we do a lot of things that can cause people problems, but it's not going to matter if we if we're not physical, if we don't get guys on the ground, if we don't defeat blocks. And he communicates that to his players by what he asks them to do every day. And this is something that, again, a, a big part of coaching. You can talk about philosophy all you want. But if your philosophy doesn't come across and what you're actually asking your guys to do every day, then it doesn't matter. When, you, when you're asking guys to do specific things, when, when they're drilling certain things every day, it gets across that this is a point of emphasis. This is really important. We need to get better at this. And I think that's a big part of it. Uh, and, 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 you know, also just in terms of the way that they, that they've practiced, if you go back and you look at how they scrimmaged over the past year, the, the, the scrimmages were physical. How did they wrap up scrimmages? They went back to the old, you know, Mac Brown is, is, you know, he's, he's traditional on this. I mean, I, when I was back at Florida state, we finished every practice, every full pad practice with a goal line session. You get four plays, ones versus ones, four plays, twos versus twos. And the team that didn't win, so if you know you had the defense got three stops, the offense ran. <laughs> you know, if, if, if for the ones, you know, if a, one defense got three stops, the one offense ran. And that's some, that's the sort of thing that that Mac has has instituted in terms of their approach in practice. What does he do? Everything gears down to to get toward goal line and to get toward certain situations where you're going to need to be physical. Uh, and they're going to need to emphasize a little more goal line through the through the spring and next year as well because they got to get better at that in the off season. Though they had a lot more success on it in the second half in this game, but it's a lot of it's just point of emphasis and what you ask your guys to do every day, and just requiring that that physicality be there. And and I think you've seen that from the staff that they're not going to talk about we're going to out scheme them. They're going to talk about we're going to you're going to have to out physical them, and that emphasis comes across. Buck, last question of the day after podcast. Um, people are ecstatic over six and six, and that's hard to believe, but it speaks to, like I said earlier, where this program has been the last couple of years. Your overall thoughts on how the season played out? I mean, everybody had it five and six, or excuse me, five and seven, six and six, seven and five. Um, so not really that big a surprise, but how they got here. And certainly with the teams they beat, um, it, it could not have gone better. I guess it could have, but it could not in reality have gone better for Mac Brown in year one. Well, I said in my column uh, this morning that uh, six and six with wins over Duke at NC State is a vastly superior season to six and six with wins over Wake Forest and App State and losses to Duke and State. Uh, so, I mean, there's different kinds of six and six seasons. And if you're going to pick one, 
this might be it. I mean, they got uh, a win over a power five team, um, you know, to start the season, which they hadn't done in like forever since Mac Brown left. In fact, then they beat Miami at home in a dramatic comeback fashion. Um, and then skip over the losses and they play Clemson to a one point game, which is haunted Clemson all year long. I mean, uh, ever since they, they just beat North Carolina by one point, they've been the redheaded stepchild of the CFP. Um, and then, you know, go on and, you know, the, the close losses, six overtimes at Virginia tech, uh, and then the you know the loss one score losses setting a FBS record for one score games in their history. Uh, it's been an exciting season. It has been uh, a lot of things have been unexpected. The bursting onto the national scene of Sam Howell. We could go on and on and on. So uh, if uh, there's people out there that don't want to call six and six a success. Well, everybody's entitled to their own wrong opinion. So, um, but what I think we ought to do, Tommy is, you know, in the preseason, we convened a large panel of people, uh, that predicted the, uh, the regular season. I think we ought to try to schedule a podcast and reassemble that group, uh, especially since I can talk to Mike Ingersoll because he was the only one in that group that picked uh, North Carolina not to go to a bowl. So I'd like to have that discussion with big Mike. <laughs> we will make it happen. He was active on Twitter. Um, I was in Nassau airport and the, trying to decide whether in the Baltimore airport, trying to decide whether to watch it. Um, then or pay attention to it then or watch it when we got home i chose the latter but i had to turn my phone off so i didn't read anything from mike on the twitter verse that would spoil the game and all that so we will definitely make that happen if not this week then the next we'll get it together it's been fun boys um it's always better when the check mark goes into w column and north carolina 41 10 over nc state in a cold wet and empty Carter Finley Stadium. Jason and Buck, pleasure's been all mine, but I appreciate y'all taking the time. It's been fun all season, Tommy. Really enjoyed it. It's a lot more fun after that kind of game. Absolutely, Absolutely right. <laughs> we'll see you folks soon on the Inside Carolina podcast sponsored by JohnnyTShirt.com. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase. Should you ever set foot outside of the motel, you will be shot. Don't miss the new Showtime limited series based on the international bestseller. For the last four years, I've been a prisoner. Why are they keeping you here? Starring Emmy Award winner Ewan McGregor. This is the brave new world that you dreamt of. Be very careful. You are still a prisoner here. Everything in this new world comes at cost. This is still my country. A Gentleman in Moscow, now streaming on Paramount Plus, only with the Paramount Plus with Showtime plan.